Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. This is the OKS Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks, if that's just me in the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OKS Hunter. Hey everybody, welcome to the OKS Hunter Podcast, coming at you from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, here in the OKS Hunter Podcast studio, brought to you and presented by none other than Spartan Forge, the deer movement, mapping, predictability, enhancement of your deer hunting application. The make your life better application. Yeah. Their slope, what is he calling it? I always forget. I'm the worst. I don't know why he pays us. The, the slope gradient thing yeah now. where it highlights it and shows you all those different super steep which probably <coughs> would be awesome for the area our guest hunts more than so than oh i even. tried it when i was in montana was it pretty i was texting bill to be like hey how do i see this and then i was describing it incorrectly to him and he's like <laughs> what are you trying to do i'm like what do you mean i'm trying to do the 3d thing man <laughs> the okay <as> describer <laughs> <laughs> like, what's happening here and whatever i got it to work and you know it's interesting because it is better quality imagery. You got the deer movement predictability piece, which is like rooted in like empirical data. So it's stronger than what you're going to find elsewhere. But then the slope gradient terrain thing now with the, the like you see your, your Fred Bear drawing back there with your topo lines. Oh, topo lines? It's down to like five feet. That's insane. I don't know any other app that can give you that. No. And then as you navigate like virtually or digitally the, the curvature of a slope, you're kind of like putting yourself in the woods a little bit. It's taken it about, I think, as far as maybe I'm wrong because I'm sure he's got more up his sleeve. But so far, it's the farthest you can go without getting in the woods on a on a e scouting app. It's given you like pretty much as close as you can possibly get to seeing exactly what that terrain lays out like yeah. without actually yeah. having your boots on. Yeah. You're basically in a drone flying around, <laughs> <laughs> like you can see deer in fields. It's pretty wild. We got uh, my kid got a drone for Christmas. Oh, so you're playing with it. Well, no, he had to show me how to do it. <laughs> I was like, let me try it out first, son. I'll take care yeah. of this. It was like a 14-plus-year-old thing. I'm yeah, like, oh my God, and he's so five. Five and a half, yeah. yeah. But he is pretty clever, and I couldn't get that thing to do what it was supposed to. He's like, Dad, let me try it. <laughs> <laughs> and he got it? Yeah, yeah. Good he did him, pretty man. good. He did pretty That's good. Great. One tree took a hit, but. All right. What else we got, what else we got going on here? Uh, Vector Custom Shop. I don't know what else to say about those guys right now. Then just keep your eye on them because they have some big plans. Uh, they want us to come to Texas to do a hog hunt with them this oh, next man. year. Let's so, go. What, like, I got I to gotta talk to Isaac because I forget when he said it was, per usual, because I can't remember anything. Uh, but I think it, it's pretty doable if we were if we wanted to go. And if anybody, like, if you've not actually, like, looked at Vector, you've heard anybody talk about them, like, follow them on Instagram because, like, all they post is just, like, reposts of people blowing through huge animals with their these arrows and their broadhead setups and, like, 
first class, first time yeah. experience. We have done exactly what is advertised. Like, they're amazing. Here's, I don't know if you saw these ones. So I have the variable <laughs> broadhead system. This is off? No, yeah, um, by Ben when he was here, but I don't, I wasn't using these ones. Um, when you shot yours? Yeah, I was using the other ones. But careful, because <laughs> they're probably pretty sharp. <laughs> so look deadly. Yeah, they look deadly. I'm sure they are. But those, I don't. I forget what they're calling those ones. I've not shot the broadheads by yeah. Vector. I've just they shot just their arrows them. for like five years, and I will never go to any other. But people talk about like systems. So you consider like your mobile setup as a system potentially, or you're trying to systematize as much as possible. Like going with Vector, you're, everything's a system. It all works together in concert. And so if you go with their broadheads and their arrows and their, you know, um, uh, what do you want to call that? The sleeve. Their inserts. Either inserts. Yeah. It, or it, outserts. It, or yeah, insert, outsert. Now it's all kind of like comprises one unit. They have a way better system now. It's come a long way, yeah. even in the short time they've been around. So anyway, check those guys out. Uh, by the way, OHP, the code OHP will get you some percentage off on everybody we're talking about here, including Latitude Outdoors, our other partner here, which I'm excited to see what they're coming out with next year. We had them on the podcast just a, what, like a month or Maybe two month and a half ago, ago yeah. two months ago. Um, you know, there's... Everyone's working on new product development and, and bringing new things to market. And they couldn't talk a whole lot about some of that stuff, but they talked about enough. And I actually can't remember what they didn't talk about on air versus what they talked about with me on the phone. So I'm just not going to talk about any of it because I'm, I'm nervous. I'll say the wrong thing. Um, but just keep an eye on their stuff. It's great. I love I love their saddle. I think you killed out of their saddle. Yeah, You're killed the dough. the dough this year out of the saddle. The buck great. I got, this guy on the table was out of the saddle. Um which was just freaking cool, man. It felt great. It really did. I, I was so Im like, impressed with how easy that felt to do. It didn't feel out of place at all. Like now, It was very natural. Is this your second season hunting from that? Second season hunting from it, yeah. Because I know right off the bat, when you and I hunted opening weekend, you were saying, I feel so much more comfortable in my system, like how yeah. I do things. And it makes a huge difference when you have confidence. Yeah, and even the hunt one, there was a couple bugs to work out, but nothing... Too crazy. The only thing I left on the ground was my GoPro, which I didn't mind. I was like, well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but <you laughs> going know. for that new Skyward angle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then go wild. I think I saw you post a whole bunch of trophies over there. Well, to get I decided yourself it's caught time up. for me to actually get caught up on there. I've been on there with like nothing for like a year, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know. I was like, had some downtime one day. Start posting pictures. And it's pretty cool because you post like the distance you shot it, where you shot it, like what'd you use, the like all of the stuff. And so they're probably like doing some data collection there, perhaps. But then the you're body length, I've never seen that. Yeah. I've never thought about that. But I was like, hey, that's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, I should start measuring. Yeah, it's in it is interesting. So between them and like you know, uh, Vector is doing something called datakills.com. You can go there and check that out too. I still gotta do that too. Which is just a neat thing. It's very about how the arrow flew and you know penetrated and and so forth. But yeah, I think that's all we got for for that. And so you can use our code over there too for all because you can buy stuff on Go Wild just as much as you can banter and, and hang tight and. Have fun, meet some cool people. You can do the nearby feature and see what's going on around you. So when morel mushrooms pop off in a few months, or if the ice is the ice bite is good, if you're in the Midwest or whatever, kind of see what's going on. Um, yeah. Otherwise, how's your Christmas? Good. I mean, it was actually like the least busy, most relaxing, enjoyable holiday. We just went up to my parents' house in Green Bay. Yeah. My in-laws. So my wife and I are both only children. So no other sisters, brothers to battle with or fight with. So it was like her in-laws were invited over. So everybody got together the Christmas day. Mm -hmm. We had hors d'oeuvres and my mom made a big lasagna. And we all stayed up and played cards after the kids went to bed. And it was just like small but chill. Like 
relaxing. Uh, it was good. It was good. Envious of that. Mine. Was I bet you yours was wild. A little, not not too too bad, but it it was. Uh, it felt like a lot. Taxing. Yeah, we might do things a little different next year. I'm not sure. We'll have to see. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. It was good though. No, every, the kids are happy. It was all the good type of chaos and stress that you can hope for. But um, happy to be back down here in the studio. I have a whole bunch of different bourbon to try. Uh, you brought some over. I put a Facebook post out, and I get all this bourbon sent to me, which is exciting. Yeah, our buddy uh, Ben Walchek, who I was just hanging out with last night talking to your stories, had that one for you, so we brought her down, and I think everybody, <clears throat> after my post, just thought it was like this crazy pyramid scheme, but I was like, dang, guys. Like, it kind of is pyramid scheme, but it is legit. We just buy each other, <laughs> we buy one bottle of bourbon, this is yeah. cool. I thought it was cool. So far, I've gotten three. So, I got one three more than I would have had. <laughs> <laughs> but we got uh, a guest on with us tonight. We'll bring you in here. Joe, thanks for hanging out in the sidebar where we chop the... Chew the fat. Is that the? Is that what I wanted to say? Yeah. <laughs> no, no problem, guys. I'm uh, I'm really jealous that you guys are sitting there drinking whiskey, and I'm not. But <laughs> other you? than that, I mean, this should be fun. <laughs> Maybe we should have had you go grab some some bourbon real quick or something. Sorry, bud. <laughs> well, with the with the move going on, I don't even have any bourbon in this house, so uh, <laughs> that's an issue for me. Grandpa and Grandma don't have any blackberry brandy up there. <laughs> No, they don't. And I, I mean, I guess they might in their main house, but this is the little little ranch house on the other side of their farm. So um, I'm sitting here alone with, with no booze. So I'm jealous <laughs> of you guys right now. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have some. Calder says, good evening, fellas. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, I thought, you know, I, I work with your, with your wife, not like virtually because you guys are in Montana and I'm in Wisconsin, obviously, but I was just out there. And by the way, you have a really badass truck, I must say. That thing... Getting picked up in the airport uh, in that rowdy ride was pretty cool, man. That felt very Montana <laughs> in a snowstorm, nonetheless. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I did a lot of work on that thing to get it where it is. So it's a, it's a fun truck. It definitely gets me down the road to where I need to be to go hunting, that's for sure. Yeah, I bet, man. The freaking tires on the thing. You got a deck system. or Maybe it's not decked, literally, but some sort of decking in there and, and all sorts. of. It was cool. It was a big old Toyota Tundra. It nice. is decked. It's decked. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I don't want to misspeak in case it's yeah. the wrong type, but yeah, dude, tell us a little bit about no, what you, good. what you do. And, and obviously you're in Montana, but maybe where you're from and kind of how that all came to be. And then I'd love to just talk backcountry stuff with you as we kind of get into it. Yeah, man, definitely. So a little, little background of myself. Uh, um, uh, unfortunately I always say this, you know, with a, with a grain of salt, like take it with a grain of salt. Um, born in southern california but i always say you can't pick where you're born um <laughs> so so that's where i was born but uh family you know moved out of there as quick as i can went to went to school at boise state in idaho um and got my degree in journalism which kind of landed me where i am now i'm the managing editor at peterson's hunting magazine um do uh, several various other publications under under my managing role so i do backcountry hunter um, wheels of field magazine precision hunter and then we have a new one coming out which i can't mention yet but it'll be pretty darn cool are those all under the peterson umbrella <clears throat> yeah so um pretty much under the peterson's umbrella there are special interest publications that go out a couple times a year and uh we're all owned by the same company which is outdoor sportsman's group which owns the outdoor channel sportsman channel you know things like that so very cool commonly referred to as OSG. Yeah. If I'm talking industry stuff, right? That's a, you can feature an OSG or something. Yeah, OSG. Yeah. 
You know, you know, yeah. <laughs> you done with OSG. <laughs> you done with OSG. You know yeah, me. you know me. Well, we know, we know Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so like uh, going to school at Boise State kind of started me in my, my Western hunting experience growing up in Southern California. Did a lot of bird hunting, not too much big game stuff. Uh, all the big game stuff I did was, you know, in, in Idaho. So uh, when I went to Idaho and became a resident there, which I changed as quick as possible, <laughs> I uh, jumped on the bandwagon, at, you know, chasing elk with a bow and hunting mule deer with a bow and doing pretty much anything and everything I could in the backcountry. So that kind of spurred my interest and got me really just, you know, entrapped in the sport. So and I'm not- that's where I'm at now. And that's why I ended up in Montana. Because we have great opportunity for all that. I've not hunted Idaho personally, but from everything I've heard, like that's a tricky place to get your feet wet. I mean, that's some steep ass terrain, and I know they've got a fair amount of hunting pressure. So, like, what was your what was your start of your big game hunting career? Like, what was your first hunt you went on? How did that all play out? How did you get into it? So, so the first hunt that I went on in Idaho was uh, uh, actually a whitetail hunt um up in the panhandle area and ended up killing a really nice whitetail killed the he was a skosh under 150 wow um and i was 12 years old so i was spoiled for life (laughs) (laughs) but uh it it was it you know they act a little bit different the whitetails in idaho than i'd say around where you guys are because you know we were doing spot and stock stuff up in the hills rather than you know chasing them in trees and um or sitting in trees waiting for a deer to walk by as, as you guys do. I'm, I'm not the most patient hunter on the planet. So I have a hard time sitting in a tree stander in a saddle, like what you guys were talking about earlier, kind of speaking a different language than what I'm used to. But <laughs> that, that was kind of my, my first experience in Idaho. And then when I moved there really just dove in head first, um, have always been big into archery and archery elk was, was a thing that I wanted to do, um, more than anything else. Right. So bought my over the counter tag for 18 bucks or whatever it was in school and was like, well, I'm going to go figure this out. Bought some bought some calls and, you know, they lived in my my pickup truck as I drove around and (laughs) whatnot and learned how to call and went out chasing elk. And uh, on my eighth day of elk hunting, I killed my first bull. Wow. How did you like? So that was your first one. Did you have any help like? you know, coring that thing up and, and packing it out? Or how did that all go down on your first one? You're like, oh, now what do I do? So got him on the ground and, you know, I was used to uh, gutting deer, which I never was exposed to the gutless method, which I wish I was um, beforehand because it would have been very helpful, especially the way he fell. Like he fell right down the mountain talking about steep. I was in an old burn area and he wedged, three out of his four quarters underneath this downfall burnt tree. So it it was a pain in the ass to try and get him in a position where he was uh, guttable. And I had help, but I say that loosely and I love my wife. Uh, (laughs) We we had just started dating and she had never been hunting before. And she was like, well, I would, I would love to spend some time with you and see what it's all about. And uh, she was there the, day I killed my first bull and she didn't think anything was going to happen. And, uh, you know, I had her hold a leg from time to time and stuff, but she had no idea what was going on. Um, and it actually got to the point. So my brother was going to school at Boise state as well. I ran to the top of the mountain. I killed him right about last light. So I got to the highest point I could find and got a bar of cell service, 
called my brother and I was like, Hey, I need some help. And he was at a baseball game and he said, send me your coordinates. So I texted him my coordinates and he drove through the night and we, uh, packed it out the next morning. Oh, wow. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I was able, I was able to get the guts out by about like midnight. So, so your, your fiance or girlfriend at the time, the wife to be had really no idea what she was about to get into when she woke up that morning and just wanted to join you for a hunt she, in the woods. Yeah, she had no idea. And we, we had actually been there for two days previous and, uh, she, she was just like, I don't know what we're doing. We're just hiking around the mountains with nothing happening. It was a pretty early season hunt. So the bugle, bugling wasn't going on too much. And, uh, she was just like, this guy's insane. He just walks <laughs> around with a bow, meandering through the woods, not knowing what he's doing and blowing on this stupid call that sounds really obnoxious. And then that evening, I just did a calling set and this bull came walking in and stuck an arrow in him. And she was like, well, now what the hell do we do? <laughs> Good. That's a, that's a pretty legitimate question. <laughs> now the work starts. Yeah. Dude, I, so talk, tell me a little bit about the gutless method, because I don't, I don't know what that is. Are you talking about just like quartering it up? Take all the meat off, right? Without ever opening yeah, how do you, that internal how do, cavity. Yeah, how do you do that? Like, I don't know. Walk me through that a little bit. I'm curious, selfishly. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry sorry about that, because I, I understand you guys just dragged here. You guys don't, yeah, we're not don't very do smart. a lot of the, the quartering process. Yeah, so you just but uh, so so with the gutless man, like you just start cutting into them pretty much. Um, what I do personally, you know, animals laying on its side, right? You cut a line right up the back, right up the spine, start pulling the hide off, and then just start pulling quarters off, and you never go into that uh, that body cavity. And so you pull your quarters on one side, back strap, and then at that point, once you have that back strap, you make a little tiny incision right behind that last rib. And then you basically just reach in and cut out the tenderloin. It's, ah. it's super simple. And then you get all your all your meat off and no mess. Fascinating. Dude, that's really interesting. I um you know, usually you get your your gut pile and you take you take everything except for the guts. This way it's like the total opposite. <laughs> I it, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that would be fun to try. I feel like the first time I would try that, if I did if I did do that. I would totally forget to take the tenderloins. You know what I mean? Just because, like, <laughs> visually, I'm like, if I see it, it's there. If I don't see it, it doesn't exist. And someone would have to remind me, hey, you're going to take that tenderloin out of there? <laughs> Dude, I, I, you guys should try it. Next time you kill a deer out in the woods instead of dragging it. I mean, it it gets all your, your preliminary processing done right then and there, and it's way cleaner. And then you don't have to drag anything easier. It's way easier to carry quarters than it is to drag a buck. I think that would be... <laughs> freaking cool to try I, I i just feel like i need someone to teach me the first thing i'm ever going to try something like or the first time i do something i need some sort of mentorship like in person and then once i have that then i'm good it's kind of like if you drive somewhere once you kind of lock it in okay i need to turn left here turn right here's my here's my landmarks i know i'm going i'm good i just need to go there once yeah and and so if i were to do that i feel like i would i would love to have someone be there to be like no, dumbass, you cut here. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Or whatever, just kind of show me where to point the knife or, or whatever um, kind of thing. So that's uh makes sense when you're out in the back. Well, well I'll make you I'll, I'll make you a deal. Uh, when when you want to go hunting, we'll go hunting and I'll teach you how to do it. Uh, well, there you go. I think that'd be great. Deal. What? Is, well, yeah, you want to go to Montana? Is it super expensive for out-of-state residents? 
It's uh, it can be a little pricey. I mean, it depends on what you're what you're going for. I mean, if you do the combo, the deer elk combo, you're looking at like a thousand bucks. Oh my god, it sounds like a lot. Illinois is a five hundred dollar tag, right? I think when I went to we bought combo licenses when we went to Montana, but this was when I was in college years ago, and I think it was like already like six hundred or seven hundred dollars for the combo. But then you get mule deer. I think it's either deer. Is that how it works by you, Joe? Is it uh, the deer tag is good for either? Yeah, so your general deer tag is good for for whitetail or mule deer. I mean, whatever you want to shoot, but we don't get multiple buck tags. I really want Montana to do a general tag that's good for mule deer or whitetail, and then a whitetail specific tag. I think that would be pretty sweet because we have a lot of a lot of whitetails and a lot of good whitetails, and I'd love to shoot a mule deer and a whitetail. That could make a lot of sense. I I think I'm, I have a buddy in Wyoming, and he's like, "Dude, no one cares about whitetail here." Like. <laughs> But they're big and they're great. Dude, nobody cares about whitetail in Montana either. Yeah. And what they we just, noticed. They don't care. <clears throat> driving around, it was like, it was harder to hunt whitetail than it was mule deer when we were, where we were in Montana. We were like in the southern part by Dillon and hunting public stuff or, you know, private ranches that allowed people to hunt on them. Mm-hmm. But it was like all the whitetails you saw were on the private, the river bottom ground where there was agriculture, like any little river bottom, there was whitetails running around everywhere. We saw so many deer, but all that stuff was private. You can hunt it. So it was like the only deer we could hunt was the mule deer bouncing around the hills, you know, up on the public stuff is what we saw in that area. Well, I feel like if you, if you yeah, were going to go yeah, out, I mean, that's what they do. If I'm going to buy a tag to go and hunt there, I would probably want to maximize that time as much as I could. So I would want to get, you know, an opportunity, like, look, uh, I guess we're not going to, uh, you know, be able to see an elk this on this hunt for this week that I'm here, but you got the mule deer one, like, go shoot that, you know, if, if they're around. So then you don't come home empty handed. Yeah. So that seems logical to some degree. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I always love having, you know, multiple tags in my pocket. It just makes it easier. And uh, I mean, not easier. You have more tags to fill, but it gives you opens up your options. So, so you have that opportunity. If you're having a hard time on elk, you could go chase mule deer. Or if, uh, if you're having a hard time on mule deer and elk, pick up your bear tag and shoot a bear. Oh yeah. We have a lot of bears too. Just freaking go shoot a bear. Make it sound so simple. No but, big that's, deal. but that's the <laughs> that's difference great. in like Western hunting. And you were like alluded to this before, Joe, is like, you don't like sitting around waiting in trees. Like neither do we, like out West, you can just see like vast distances. So like you, Oh, there's elk over there. Oh, mule deer are down in this Valley. Here, it's just freaking endless trees. Like, you can't see anything. So you just got to, you know, you got to hope and pray. But out west, man, having different tags and being like, oh, look over there. Yeah, we got to traverse across. But, like, you can see so, so much more game and so much more country than you can in these terrible well, parts. <laughs> and are you, are you, so <laughs> what I, I tried to do, like, the little bit of time I had in between kids tugging at me for, you know, play with this present and that present and this present and that present. Um, one of them was about like packing in with, uh, you know, um, horses or mules or, or what have you. And, or, or what was the other, what you talk about some other ones too, like other llamas and llamas. Goats. Yeah. And goats. I was like, there's a pack goat. Like what? But I guess like if it's going to carry some of your gear, like how many of those style hunts have you done and how many do you do a year just in general? Not even the, the, the ones that you're packing in with the, with an animal. I'm just, like how many hunts in general do I do a year? Is like, is that including my work work hunts where I travel for for hunts? 
Yeah, don't get yourself in trouble with the wife or anything. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm I'm counting in my head. I'm like, I need to say an appropriate number, <laughs> and not uh, <laughs> tell her everything. But no, I I do. You, you know, I'm I'm pretty much out every weekend in Montana that I'm home. Um, and you know, extended stays in Montana, I'll do two, maybe three a year, where I stay out for four four plus days. Um, but then as far as work travels go, you know, I'll probably do maximum like six hunts a year, um, where I travel to different States and, and, and go on different hunts. Like this year I did Alaska, New Mexico, Wyoming, and then, um, Kentucky, which was my first traditional sit in a tree for a whitetail hunt, which I saw four deer the whole time. So I never want to do it again, but, uh, um, yeah. And then I went to Arkansas for a duck hunt, uh, just a couple weeks ago, but, uh, yeah, as far as Montana goes, like most of the time, so I own horses, I own two horses and I, I pack in with them as, as frequent as I can. Um, and I love hunting with stock more than anything else. And, uh, uh I usually go the horse route because I'm a big believer of if I'm going to take care of stock and buy a trailer and take them out there, it's like that damn thing better be able to carry me too. <laughs> Um, which, which llamas are great. They're, they're really easy to get along with. They're easy for people to use that aren't familiar with stock. Um, personally, I don't like them, um, just because they can't carry as much. They can't carry it as long, but, uh, as far as the horses go, you know, I'll, I'll take them out as much as I can. Anytime I'm going into a place that, uh, you know, requires to get a little bit deeper. Um, I'd prefer having the horses. Uh, I, I definitely don't mind carrying a bunch of weight on my back. Um, I'm, I'm the guy that, uh, all my buddies call for the pack out. Uh, and I love doing it, love carrying the weight, but, uh, I'd much rather have the horses do it if, if I can. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes a ton <laughs> of sense. Like why, yeah. Why wouldn't you, Yeah. but then you got to feed and take yeah. care of horses, you know, you're around to some degree or have them boarded or whatever, whatever you do with them. I don't, I don't know, but is there any concern? Like I think in the article that I read, it was like, Hey, it's nice to have the companionship of this animal. Uh, in addition to that, like they might have uh, better senses than us to like, you know, be weary of predation if they're nearby and you're not aware, they'll be aware before you are. But then is there concern that like the predation, like a bear would want to take down the horse or if you're like, how does that, how not, does that... not so much. Okay. Like, uh, I can't remember the exact statistic, but, uh, a lot of people say, um, or, what I've read in the past, it's like, there's never been an attack on a group with horses, like a, a really like spurred attack. Like, you know, the, the bears oftentimes will realize that that's a pretty big critter and, you know, they'll, they'll get messed up. So I'm never really concerned about that with the llamas, maybe more so. Um, they could be probably seen as a, as a prey animal, but one of the horses I have, I bought her from a good buddy. Uh, she's a three quarter draft quarter Arab mix. And she is a feisty little bugger. I remember I packed in with him uh, into a spot that's thick as thick as thieves with grizzly bears. And every night we had bears walking around camp. We had a boar circle us three times. We had a sow with two cubs walk straight through camp. We had a different boar walk through the electric fence and just keep going. Uh, didn't care at all. And uh, she she's the type of horse that, you know, meets him head first and wants to fight him. Just, you know, scare him off. 
And uh, that buddy who I bought the horses from, he had experience with her where uh, while on her back, she would chase grizzly bears down the trail. Oh chase them off. <laughs> what? Yeah. See, that was my concern. Is not so she's my bear defense. <laughs> yeah, I, I was worried about, I was wondering about that too. Not necessarily that the bears would attack them, but I know horses in Wisconsin who are even like fenced in big areas, right? Like their, their pastures and whatnot, but they will smell bear or see a bear. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll freak out, you know, right? They're running, they're they're freaking out, doing, and that would scare the crap out of me going into an area that has a lot of bears. I would be wondering, like, riding this horse, is it going to get spooked? Am is I going to smell off? a bear and like just, you know, am I going to fall down this freaking cliff? Like, what's going to happen here? Has that anything like that ever happened to you? Not to me personally, but I do know people that have had stuff like that happen, um, like. I mean, bears can definitely spook horses, and if a horse isn't familiar with the smell or with the area, yeah, they'll they'll get pretty spooked. Um, but that that's one of the biggest things with hunting with stock. You need to know the animal, like yeah. you need to be comfortable, especially if you're riding them. Um, you know, walking them in, you know, I'd much rather deal with a horse losing its mind on a trail when I'm on the ground um, rather than being on its back because you know one one bad step down goes the horse and down go you with it, especially in that steep country like we've been talking about. Um, it, it could land you in a really bad situation, but the, the worst stories I've ever heard about blowups in the back country and people getting hurt and horses getting hurt and stuff like that come from bees. Oh, oh really? Like Jeez, a horse yeah. gets stung by a bee and they lose their mind, you know, start bucking full on rodeo on the trail, running through rivers, falling down mountains. Yeah. Bees, bees cause big problems for, for people hunting on horses. That's crazy. I could see that happening though. Now that you say it. I wouldn't have thought of that, but that makes oh, a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, if I get stung by a bee, I'm going to do all those things too. <laughs> like, I'm going to buck and run through <laughs> rivers and fall down mountains. It would be ugly. If I, get yeah. by, if I get stung in the ass and I'm on a horse, I'm bucking that horse off me yeah. here. <laughs> we had one, of our, one of our guests a while back, uh, Levi, with the uh, Pulling Feathers podcast, he's, he's in Wyoming, and he told a story of them going into the backcountry with horses. They rented horses from someone, small town. I guess everyone knows who this horse is. Um, or which horse it was, but I guess it was, it wasn't, it was kind of sick. Like it had like, not like a cold, but it wasn't like sick, like dying. It just was sick. And it, it rolled over mm-hmm. on its back. Like it had like a problem with its belly or something like that. It was having some issues and it like rolled down the mountain and all their gear went with it. And he, he like was telling the story. It's like on oh, a horse on the mountain. He just keeps going. Cause he doesn't get to this other part. I was like, we well, need to back up there. There's a whole different story about this horse falling down the side of a mountain. Let's talk about that for a minute. And he said there was like some other guide behind them that was like was a legitimate guide, knew what he was doing, and I was like, "You need to kill that horse. You, you want my? You need to go. You need to go put out its misery and kill it." And they're like, "We're not going to kill that horse. I'm not buying a horse. We're going to take it back." They dragged it out, <laughs> and I guess that horse is still alive today. And people in Wyoming like know the horse, like that's Betsy or whatever the hell her name is. I don't know, but. I'm like, that's a whole different category of hunt. When I tell my wife I'm trying to like go hunt out west, she's like, I heard that episode. I hear all these guys talking about bears. She's like, no, you're not doing it. She's like, you're you're a dad. You got three kids. You can't just go into bear country with horses falling down mountains and getting stung by bees. Like, what are you talking about? I got to be careful with these podcasts, man. My wife's not going to let me do shit. <laughs> like, yeah, you, know? you do have to be careful with the podcasts and the wives because they listen. They listen very carefully, yeah. too. Every now and again. They'll probably watch. So my wife takes our kids to uh, the grandparents' house. which is like a block away. And every now and again, I'll hear that they put it up on YouTube. Like, they could be watching right now, and I have no idea. So anyway, if you're watching, Ooh, and I yeah, go on my wife's sons, probably watching too. 
Yeah, she's probably like, I hope neither of you mess this up. <laughs> like, yeah, like, she's critiquing both of us. Yeah, like, can I talk to Joe? No pressure. Like, no pressure. Oh, man. So I, I, how many stories? We'll, we'll just keep shifting gears. I'm just all over the well, place. I got, like, I got one more question yeah, yeah. for him based oh, off the last story. Yeah, go ahead. So, see. Joe, you mentioned the electric fence. Uh, how often do you use that? Are you yep. using that every time you go to the backcountry? Do you put it around, like, your meat or your downed animal? How are you using it, and, like, when are you using it? That's just to keep the horses in. It's not used for, for bear defense or anything like that. We don't put it around camp. Um, I, I, the only time I've ever used a bear fence for what they're used for is when it was required on a Smith river trip. Um, so we just put it around our, our cook areas on the Smith river, which is just, they're worried about black bears, uh, getting into camps and stuff. Um, but no, as far as the, the electric fence goes, in the back country, it's like I'll I'll take in some wire and a uh, um, portable solar panel to charge it, mm. and that's just to keep the horses in, so we don't have to hobble them or highline them. Nice, fascinating. The one thing you talked yeah. about was like it could be like llamas or goats coming back with you. I feel like if someone brought in a pack coat, you're just kind of bringing like a bear snack. Like, I feel like if someone if, I, if I'm gonna go with a guy and they brought a goat, I'd be like, no, no, I'm not going. I saw Jurassic Park. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I see how this goes. <laughs> Every or like Lake Placid, yeah. or, <laughs> basically any movie with a big any animal, they're bringing goat goats. It's yeah. getting eaten by something. <laughs> Things just tied up to a rope, just waiting to be eaten. No thanks. Pretty or maybe much. maybe that's why you the, bring the it. The cool thing about goats, the, the kind of cool thing about goats, and the only thing about goats that's appealing to me is that they could really go anywhere. You know, if you're going on a sheep or mountain goat hunt, they could go up all those cliff faces and stuff like that. So, so that's kind of neat about them, but you need 80 of them to carry out a sheep <laughs> because they're so tiny. They seem like assholes. I mean, they have square eyes. It's just like a weird thing. I'm not, I don't know. Goats freaking weird me <laughs> out, man. Yeah. Anyway. They're weird critters. They, yeah. Yeah. They seem weird. So as the... Is it, Get, help me get the title right, because I'm gonna make I'm gonna mess it up because I am the, the worst person with job titles. Like I don't even know what my title is, um, but like your chief editor, editor chief, or something like that, where you're kind of at the top. I'm the of managing editor. Managing editor. What does that mean? And how many like how many other people's articles and and stories are you editing on a regular basis? Every story that goes out, I look at at least three times. That's a lot of pressure. So I have my boss. Oh yeah. I have my boss above me. Who's the editor in chief. So that is a title. So you were okay. doing good there. Um, <laughs> but so he's above me and then it's just me and him. And we go back and forth through the process of the editorial process. And we, we both edit everything from start to finish uh, as it comes in as a manuscript. And then we put it uh, into the magazine, every issue. That's crazy. How like, as those things come in, their stories, like, are some of them pretty great? We're like, oh, well, I don't have to do much with this one. This one's pretty good. Like, how much liberty are you taking to doctor up someone's story? Like, is it like Hollywood where if I come to someone and pitch a movie idea and they're like, we're going to add this whole other scene that never happened, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, we, we don't do any of that. We we try and uh, and keep it, you know, super you know, similar. We, we never want to change the author's voice because obviously we're having them write it for, for a purpose, you know, their expertise is, is leading the audience in whatever direction that wants that they need to be led in. Um, basically like our editing job is to make sure that 
it's coherent, it's digestible, um, you know, it's grammatically correct, um, and it's clean. So we, we don't change a whole, whole lot. We definitely don't add anything. Um, I mean, I guess we do change a lot just to make sure that it's, uh, easy to, to, to digest, um, make sure that it's readable, but, uh, we, we don't add anything and no, we won't add a whole scene that didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Why. I didn't assume that that was the case. I was trying to illustrate the point there, but, um, you know, I had one of, one of the, we have a, a few freelance writers that, that write for OKS Hunter in some small capacity. And one of them, uh, I believe it was PJ Del home, uh, wrote one about like how to write a story that doesn't suck because he's been at this for like 20 years. <laughs> And it was similar to what I described with the the story about the horse flying on the mountain. Like they were just going to skate right past that as if it were no big deal because to them it wasn't because that's like commonplace apparently to have horses flying down mountains. But to <laughs> someone like me, I'm like, there's a whole story right there. Let's talk about that. Let's pull that thread. And I think the example he gave was like someone said their mom came out to help them like pack out an elk. And he's like, well, hold on a second. Let's talk about your mom for a minute here the hell's your mom doing helping you pack out an elk, you know? And, and that was the story rather than like, Oh, we hunted this area. We stalked the animal. We killed it. Like we've all heard that story a thousand times. So what to you in your eyes makes something like a story unique or something that would like make the article or make the, the, the magazine. Oh man. It, like it, like it has to be original, you know, there, there has to be a good story there. Cause like you said, we've all heard those. I killed my first year stories billions of times. You know, we, we don't we don't need any more of that. We need, um, you know, the aspirational stuff. We need good adventure um, and we need stuff that, you know, people could learn from, you know, like a completely different uh, point of view on a, on a certain topic. So like we we really search for that stuff. We need experts in their field that, you know, know a subject, you know, front to back, you know, cover to cover, uh, you know, and as far as like a good story goes, like there, there just has to be some climactic issue in that story to really make people want to read it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's the part that I, when people are like, Oh, Eric, share your favorite hunting story. Or I'm like, Oh God, I don't know. But, I, do I have one? Like what? I don't know. But to toot your horn a little bit, <laughs> based on like what Joe just said, right? It has to be something different, something new, something original, something someone can learn from. That's what you've done with the, your whole brand with OKS Hunter. <laughs> is like, well, no, you're so used to hearing sure. people say, "Oh, I did everything right. I did this. I did this. I, I got the buck." Like we've heard that a million times. You took a totally new aspect, and it's like, here's what I totally botched. <laughs> like, yeah, every time. I but yeah. people can learn from that, right? And yeah. it's like a cool look on it. Sure. Like, that's, what sure. You've, that's what you've done. No, that's thanks, cool. Derek. Good. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, you know, there's definitely uh, lots of learning and teachable moments or moments that'll piss you off in the, in the moment and uh, that you can later look back on and, and have a good laugh about, which are most of those things. Because as time progresses, you start to realize like how, how, like, the, the importance and weight of things aren't as heavy as we seem in the moment. Like the don't forget your release sticker. Yeah. That, <laughs> it's the absolute best. It's a popular sticker. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget your release. That's a, a very common one, you know, that's a, uh, that's cool man, to that, hear, man. That, that happens more often than not out West. A lot. Of, I know a lot of people that have forgotten their releases on hunts. Well, that's and a, it's a, I was going to say, that'd be a bad one because you're not just, oh, I got to go back. I got to go back 500 yards to my yeah, truck. Yeah, but when you're out west, you're like, oh, <laughs> shit. I for, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> You'll build a new one out of I'm a stick. I'm six miles from the truck on top of a mountain. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to shoot fingers real quick. <laughs> Give me a tube sock and... Uh... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it work. We'll figure it out somehow. <laughs> yeah. Have you found yourself in any, like, precarious predicaments? Now, remember, the wife might be listening, so, you know, pick your poison here. But, uh, you know, there have been some teachable moments that you've had. Because you, you're hunting more than the average person, given that it's a bit of your career. You have six hunts. On the, on the boss's dime, so to speak, that's more than the average hunter by and large. Uh, and that might be less than some other people that are industry, you know, folks, but you know, you're hunting way more than that. If you count up all the personal ones you're doing in, in your backyard, so to speak, but like what, what types of like situations or like learning moments have you had, even just in the last year in year in review, right? It's going to be 2023. Let's do a Joe's year in review. What have you learned? Man. Um, so in Alaska this year, hunting Sitka blacktail, I learned to take even, you know, I doubled up on everything that I took, took two pairs of boots, two pairs of, um, two sets of rain gear. You know, I was like, I'm prepared. And then I realized that I need to prepare for other people as well. So (laughs) (laughs) bring three, four sets of gear for everybody. Um, but, but no, it's, uh, that, that one was pretty easy. Um, Nothing like too crazy happened on that one. Um, the biggest learning experience I had this year was I packed a wall tent camp in for for me, my wife, and a good friend of mine and his wife. And we were going to just give it hell, um, opener of rifle season in Montana, going after elk. And uh, we get in there, we're all happy, you know, we packed in bottles of booze we were like hunting of course this is the best thing ever because we're living in luxury you know six miles from the truck um the thing i learned on this trip was that wall tents suck and montana's opener of rifle is the worst time ever to be out in the woods because it's always shitty there is always a storm and it is going to give you hell and uh opening day that night our wall tent collapsed at like 11 45 at night and we found ourselves hiking out in the middle of the night through two feet of snow oh and it was God. just absolutely miserable. So the the thing I learned there was just don't go out and opener of rifle because that <laughs> happened every, pretty much every year opener of rifle. I mean, two years ago, I got frostbite on my ears, um, opening weekend of rifle, packing out some milk for a buddy. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, it's a miserable time to be in the woods. So that's, that's my biggest learning experience is I'm never hunting opening weekend of rifle in Montana ever. I don't know, man, you say that now and you just forget like those things just kind of get blacked out and you're like, no, oh, I'm going to go out for the opener and it happens again. Where's like, that wall tent? Like every that? season I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do early season. That shit's miserable. I don't, there's too many mosquitoes. I don't see anything. There's too much greenery. Like, what am I doing? I'm sweating. And then lo and behold, this season comes around. I get all damn excited and jacked up that it's here. I've waited all year, and then I go, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. I hate this. This is what torture. am I doing? <laughs> so I wouldn't do this again, you idiots. You know, that's exactly what will happen. Oh, I'll, def- I'll definitely be back out next year. <laughs> uh, it's there's there's no question about it. I already know. It's like I I love the I embrace the suck as they say. So uh, I, I can't can't. Uh, can't not do it. So I'll be out next year, whether it's with my yeah. tag or with friends, it'll just, yeah. it always happens. But that's just it, man. Out, out where you're at in the, in the, the quote unquote back country, even six miles from a truck, you know, where you're at is very different than where we're at. And you know, we're not getting two feet of snow ever. Like, I don't remember the last year right. that that ever even happened. I don't, I don't know, Derek, do you remember when we got two feet of snow? Like, 
I think up north where you're at, um, where your cabin is, it'll accumulate to that, but you're not getting dumped Not on. in one storm. Yeah. You know? No. So, just, it doesn't move like that. And up there's treacherous. You can get, you can get turned around. There is predation. You might be a little weary of it. I don't think it's a big deal, but more so you can just get lost. And, and when it's like super, super cold and you're out there for extended hours, like shit could get weird. I just think it could get a lot weirder, a lot faster out west than it can here. a lot more extreme. <laughs> I just watched the uh, 1883, and that it's like the Oregon oh, Trail, like go. literally. Dysentery. It's like watching it, <laughs> and people are just dying every couple of minutes. <laughs> just like that old game, like oh, you fall out of your wagon, you're dead. You know, like that's what it feels like out there. Yeah. Oh, dude, that just that just happens. I mean, like. The day, the opening day started, it was pretty nice. It was like a light drizzly rain, you know, felt like fall. And we're like, oh, this is going to be a great hunt. And we all knew that there was a storm coming in that was supposed to be a bad storm. And like noon, it switched from rain to snow. And by that night, there was over a foot of snow on the ground. That's wild. What? So then like, how do you, how do you prepare for like these unknown variables I mean, I guess you can watch the weather forecast, but did you know that that was going to happen? Mm, not to that extent. Um, I mean, you could watch weather forecasts and you could kind of have an understanding of what you're going to experience. But man, there there really isn't like a, like, I don't know, there's no equation for really making sure you have everything covered. The best thing to do is just always have kind of the, the basic gear with you. Um, you know, even when I'm not camping, like if I'm going out for a day trip, like I'll always have a, a lightweight shelter. I'll always have a puffy jacket and pants to, you know, use as a sleeping bag if I need to, to, to stay warm. You just, you, you plan for the contingencies. Like mm-hmm. what, what do I do if I can't get out tonight? What do I do if I kill something at last light and I need to sleep out here? Do I have my fire starting kit? Do I have enough water? Do I have a water filter? Do I have, um, I don't know, my, my puppy gear. Um, do I have rain, rain gear in case a storm blows in out of nowhere, which is very, very common. Those, those mountains where we're hunting, like, you know, we're, it's, it's very common to have nothing on the radar, no, no weather forecast. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a massive thunderstorm rolling in, you know, lightning striking everywhere. You're getting dumped on with hail and rain and it, uh, it can turn nasty pretty quick, but you know, it could also turn nice really quick. So the the saying in Montana is, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes; it'll change. I feel like we have that saying here too, but it, I feel like it doesn't apply anymore. <laughs> not in this conversation. <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not in this. That conversation. works with the cashier at the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Welcome to Wisconsin. Stay five minutes, and you know whatever. But like that's bullshit because the Midwest, like when a storm system blows through, like it's gonna be here for a while. Midwest storms move slow. It's just gonna be overcast. You go to like Florida. And it'll rain hard and heavy. And then 20 minutes later, it'll be dry like it never happened. Yeah. You know, we don't have that here. Yeah. So I don't know why people say that in Wisconsin. It's not a applicable saying, if you ask me. I had another question lined up with all that. Well, so, so as far as like planning for contingencies, a buddy of mine had a mountain goat tag last year. And uh, I went out and hunted it with him. And we were hunting on a storm front as usual because we're always hunting on storm fronts because that's... <laughs> Just typical Montana. (laughs) And, uh, but we planned, so we did 26 miles in one day uh, of hiking and chased down uh, a goat that we, that we really wanted to kill or that he wanted to kill. 
And, you know, we, we did it as light as possible, but we took one lightweight stone glacier shelter, uh, a pair of puffy pants and a puffy and fire starter and uh, a water filter. Like we didn't carry any water. We carried, you know, cereal bars and cliff bars and things like that for food. But we were fully planning on staying at over 10,000 feet of elevation through the night because we figured we were we would kill that goat at that last light as it moved out of the um, cliffy areas and moved into some more open meadowy high country stuff to feed. So we were like, well, if we kill this thing, we're staying up there. And like, we even looked at each other. It's like, we'll, we'll be cuddling to stay warm, but we'll make it. Okay. <laughs> we'll be cuddling to stay warm. No words were spoken, but your eyes said that. All. <laughs> <laughs> no words were spoken. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It was, it was like people communicate like 90% is nonverbal. <laughs> so you know, we're cuddling, right? Yeah. 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 What'd you say? Did you say something? No, <laughs> no. What? Your, you shut your mouth. <laughs> you shut You're your talking mouth. To me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> go comatose for me. So I can cuddle with you. So how did that work out? How did the hunt work out? <laughs> uh, so we ended up not killing that goat. We ran off the mountain at, you know, right at dark. We got back out. We got, we went into town to regroup and then went in on a different side of the mountain and went back up there and uh, he killed a really nice goat. So awesome. it was a, actually a stud goat, like nine and three quarter inch, inch Billy. So it was a, damn. Yeah. Damn. Really good Billy. You got to have a lot of meat in your freezer at home, man from the sounds of it with that many hunt trips that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Got a little bit, a <laughs> little bit enough to buy a new freezer this year. So, Oh, there you go. Those are, there are a shortage of those, uh, during the COVID era. Cause our, our chest. Yeah. Freezer, I had to buy one during the COVID era. It was awful. Yeah. They weren't I, there. I went to so many different stores called so many people. And then I ended up buying like a stand-up freezer for like fifteen hundred bucks because that was the only thing I could find. Yeah, guys, people were selling them on Facebook Marketplace when there was that shortage. You could get like a chest freezer freezer that was ten years old, and they were selling them for like nine hundred bucks well, or my, something because everybody needed one. My ten-year-old chest freezer. Uh, this is funny. It never. We bought this house. It came with one, and, it, and they're like, "You can just have that," and it never worked. But I didn't realize that until like we moved in, and so it just sat in the basement. And then our refrigerator went out. And we have a warranty that we keep extending. Your home warranty. And I was like, hey, our fridge went out and so did our chest freezer. We got a brand new giant chest freezer on the warranty for free. And uh, But then it took, I think it took nine months to get it because they, there weren't any anywhere. And I was like, well, whatever. Like I didn't need it anyways because I wasn't using it until it came. And now we have this beautiful chest freezer that's brand new. We got to fill that thing up. Let's go hunt for a dough tomorrow. <laughs> right. Greg keeps killing him. I got that meat freezer sticker on that damn thing. That's pretty cool. Anyway, do you have a, Joe, do you, do you have like, are you familiar with like what, I guess you could understand here, but like an okayest moment. Do you have like a couple of those that you're willing to share and self-deprecate here to, to bring the plane in for a landing? <laughs> Dude, I have lots of okayest moments. I always consider myself mediocrely average at hunting. Nice. Um, I wish I thought of okayest before you did because it rolls off the tongue way better. Um, but, oh, man. Uh, let's see. Which which ones are the good ones? And I'm totally fine with talking about how bad I am at stuff. So um, we, got, we think we know your next story. <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, I think one of the, the worst ones... Uh, I was on an elk hunt here in Montana, an archery elk hunt, and uh, I was hunting with with a buddy, and I have this bull coming in, and you know this this was one of the moments where I tell myself I'll never let anybody range for me. I have to range myself, um, and I had done you know all the things right, 
done everything, ranged the different shooting, uh, different trees along my shooting lane and everything. And I, I knew my distances, but I was like, Hey, what's the range? And he calls out like 62. And I look at the elk and I was like, man, I'm pretty sure he's like 40 and he's like 62. And I, uh, I pull back, shoot for 60 and just send this arrow, just sailing way over its back. I mean, just like two feet over its back and you know, the bull runs off and I was just like, man, I knew that was closer. <laughs> and he looks at me after the fact and just goes, yeah, man, it was, it was, uh, not 62. I, I didn't hit the elk. I, I ranged way past it. I don't know what happened. Like, I'm really sorry, but you know, I just send this arrow sailing way over this elk's back. And I was just like, you know, I, I knew, I knew the range. I knew where he was standing along my shooting lane. And I was just like, yeah, 62, that sounds right. <laughs> like, let's send it. And, uh, there goes the arrow just sailing off into the abyss. It's probably still in orbit for all I know. Still in orbit. What's that uh, movie with the Justin Timberlake and Mia Kunas, Mila Kunas, like where they're, I don't know, they're dating or something and he can't do math. Like he's actually terrible at math. And he looks at this fence. He's like, that fence is like two of me. I'm six foot. So that must be 18 feet. And he's like, well, that can't be right. <laughs> I feel like that scene. Well, that can't be right. That perfect. would be the perfect. And she's like, wow, you're really bad at math. <laughs> And 62 minus carry the three. Yeah, yeah. That's me. I, every time I try to do math, for the record, it looks like I'm passing a kidney stone. It's not pleasant. But, no, that's uh, laughable now. In the moment, you're like, shit, you know, what the heck happened there? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, looking back on it, I just laugh. Uh, just every time I think about it, I'm just like, never doing that stupid thing again. Um, but, no, I think one of my okayest moments, it's like, dude, every time I go out, like, with a rifle – it's like, I'd bet money that I'm going to miss the first shot. Like, it, it's absolutely <laughs> I'll hilarious. take that like, bet I'll, if you're that I went confident. on an antelope hunt. I, w- I went on this antelope hunt in eastern Montana, and I got on this nice buck, and it was like 160 yards. And um, I lay down on him, and I pull the trigger, and I have no idea where that bullet went. I mean, just, you know, it's probably still in orbit, too. But... Uh, <laughs> Then he gets up and he starts trotting off and I whistle at him and then shoot him and he's stone dead. But it's just like, it's one of those things like, man, when, when I go to take the first shot with a rifle, like, man, I don't know. It must be buck fever or something. I just get too excited to get too amped up about they call it like about shot panic maybe or I just with it. That's pretty commonplace here in Wisconsin rifle with shotgun. Like you just send one shot to get him going, you know, get that sportsman. Like you just, Hey, I'm get him going. Boom, and then you know, second shots where you really dial in. Give it him. Here's your warning shot. You better run. <laughs> you better get out of here, man. hundred <laughs> percent. Dude, that's just the way it goes. Well, I, I, I kind of share. Okay. This moment. Oh, I don't yeah. think I've shared this with you. Yet. No, let's hear it, man. I'll that put my, you on the camera. Let's my go. only late season hunt I did this year. And you know, you're not dealing with climbing sticks and tree stands here, Joe, but this is what we're dealing with here. I'm up at the cabin, Northeastern Wisconsin. Dad and I are going out to a spot that he had scouted. Yep. and had a spot picked on the map and I walk back through there and it's snow on the ground and I find this tree and I get to my base of my tree. And of course it's late season. So I'm taking all my different clothes and a different pack. And I'm like, I didn't bring my pull-up rope. No big deal. I'll put the climbing sticks up, hang the stand, come back down, like grab the bow and put it. I'll figure out a way. So I get up there, climb up, you know, get the bow. Everything's good to go. It's time to get down. See no deer. I'm like, ah, I'm going to go down on one trip. I got my rangefinder. So Joe had the rangefinder story. I had my rangefinder. I'm like, I'll just girth hitch 
you know, throw the rangefinder around through the loop on the top can- on the top of my bow, throw it over my shoulder, carry my bow down. <laughs> well, I must have been cold and tired. <laughs> I did not girth it. <laughs> Thought I did. <laughs> I put my bow off to the side. I let go. <laughs> my bow just fell straight to the ground. <laughs> I wasn't up super high, but I was like, wow, that was really stupid. <laughs> Did you the moment you let go? Did you realize that that was going to happen? No, I thought it was for, you, I thought it was for sure going to hang there. Like when was the moment where you were like, oh, like when midway I heard it in the go, air? Bonk. <laughs> so you didn't even see it happen, really. It no, just, I literally slung it over. Like, went like, to, like that? climb around the tree, let go, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, damn it! <laughs> Holy idiot! Uh, it's a pretty good one. <laughs> I feel like I haven't had something like that just yet happen, but. It's not far off, man. I, I don't want to talk about all the dumb shit I've done in the in the woods. Yeah. I last year I had a debacle. It's it's easy to do to do dumb stuff, man. It just happens. It just happens to us. Really, really easy. I uh, I had a really good moment actually in Alaska where I was packing the deer off of the mountain and everybody's slipping and sliding and you know on that, that wet Alaska soil. And I look back and I'm like, well, if you step like this. Like it, it helps give you a little bit of purchase with your, with, with each step. And as I was explaining it, I freaking hit a soft slippery spot and I rolled about 80 feet down the hill. <laughs> the deer skull went flying out of my pack. And I was like, don't, don't do it like that. Just, forget I'm just showing you what I not say. to do guys. How's that go again, Joe? <laughs> you guys are struggling. Thought I'd give you some comedic relief. <laughs> Yeah, just trying to help out. Just trying to give everybody oh, a good great. laugh as I <laughs> rolled down a mountain through Devil's Club. So, what do you have on the on the horizon for twenty three? As far as like, do you have any hunt trips planned? Do you have like any stories in the hopper, uh, goals, things of that nature? What like, what do we have to look forward to from you? Where can we and, and like, can we where can we read your work specifically? Also. So, so my work's on the, on the website, it's in the magazines. Um, I, I write in every publication that we do. Um, not every issue of Peterson's, um, just because we have a lot of freelancers that we put in there. Um, but frequently I'll be in there. Um, all my trips from this year, um, I'll be writing at some point during 23. So they'll be going up online and on, in the magazines and stuff. But as, as far as 23 goes, I have, a one really cool one that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, well, actually, I actually have two that I'm really excited about. I'm, I'm heading to New Zealand in June um, to to do some stag, tar, and chamois hunting, which I'm pretty darn excited about. Uh, that'll be a, a first for me. Uh, I haven't done a whole lot of international stuff, and I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. It just seems like such a cool country, and I'm, I'm really excited to get up in the high mountains chasing tar and chamois. Like, that'll be pretty darn sweet. Um, so I'm really excited for that one. Uh, and then as September rolls around, I go back to Alaska doing a grizzly bear hunt. So Ooh. that's, uh, that's definitely a bucket list hunt for me and, uh, should be pretty darn cool going, uh, out of Kotzebue up in Alaska. So damn dude. Curious. Well, what is the, uh, weapon of choice for both of those hunts? Have you decided? Do you know? Well, before so, you, before you ask and an, and before you answer, uh, I don't have the comments on the screen, but I can see them, so I'm going to moderate this and bring one of them onto the screen. But Tony, who's a regular listener, um, he asked a question. He said, "Let me rephrase. What's your favorite elk caliber and heavy grizzly country?" And then you can get Derek's question. Ooh, so I mean, for 
a good elk caliber in general. I love anything 30 caliber. Um, personally, I've, I'm really in love with that uh, 300 PRC. And that's, uh, that's going to be a great bear defense gun too. Any, any grizzly issues you have, that'll, that'll definitely um, stop a grizz in its tracks, especially if you're using like a good uh, heavy, heavy bullet monolithic coppers. Uh, that's, that's a great one. And what was your question, Derek? Oh, uh, for his upcoming hunts, the New Zealand, he's got the tar and the chamois, and then uh, his Alaskan hunt for the grizzly bear. Yeah. I was wondering just what weapon are you choosing? What are you using? Do you know? Is it up in the air? What are you thinking? So they're they're both going to be rifle hunts. Um, personally, I would love to, to take a bow to both of them. I'm a big archery guy. Um, I, I'd pick a bow over anything else anytime. And that's really my bucket list hunt is to, to hunt brown bear with a bow. I think that would be just absolutely the best thing I can do. Um, my wife hates me for that, but uh, <laughs> you know, I just Imagine. can't help what I like. So, yeah. but uh, they're both going to be rifle hunts uh, taken. I think I'm going to take a six, five PRC to, to New Zealand for that hunt. And I'm not sure the caliber I'm going to take for the Alaska hunt yet. Cool, man. I'm excited for you. That is exciting. Are you going to be like, are, who's going with you on this stuff? So for New Zealand, I'm going with uh, Fioki. So uh, I'm going to have um, a couple guys from Fioki that will will be a uh, be along for the riders. Well, they're they're taking me, so they're going to be running the show, and I'm going to be following along and uh, hoping to to film at least some of it. And then for the Alaska hunt, I'm going with Leopold and Browning um, with their, their PR guys there. And we're, we're all going to go hunt together. There's some, some good friends of mine and we're going to do a three part video series on, on that bear hunt. So stay tuned for that one. The rifle makes a lot more sense now that you mentioned <laughs> the sponsors. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, good call. Well, thanks for hanging out with us on the, on the podcast, man. It's good to, to meet you finally, kind of, I, we miss each other when I was in Montana. Uh, for you know a couple, well, I was only there for like two or three days or something like that. It was a pretty short lived trip. I think you were on a, on a, uh, I think that's when you were in was Alabama or something like that, or, or, or yeah, Arkansas, Arkansas. That's that's, that's, I think. Yeah, one of the A's. Yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, we'll end the live broadcast. And uh, I don't know, like, is there anything else you want to leave us with here? I'm like rusty because I haven't done a podcast in like two weeks. <laughs> Apparently, that's all it takes for me to get rusty around here, but. <laughs> Hey, dude, I get it. It happens when I don't do a podcast for a couple of weeks. It gets uh, gets tough to to stay in the groove. So, but but no, thanks for thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, and if anybody has any questions about Western hunting, I mean, feel free to reach out anytime. Social channels, whatever. Rock on. Well, thanks a bunch. Oh, and go read Peterson's Hunting Magazine. Yeah, there absolutely. There we, that's, that's what I was waiting for. for, is the plug. There we go. Well, everybody that tuned in on Chain Live. Yeah, you got it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This will be in podcast land tonight. And uh, we'll tag in everything and Peterson's and all that stuff. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you want to stick around for just a minute here, we'll debrief. And everybody that tuned in, thanks.